Pop the glass and in. John Gillen is beaten too. It's a third win against the top ten. And the Orange had them all the way. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into my heart. I'll bring for the win saddle. Bang! Boom! It's the Orange do it again. The cardiac juice comes through on the road one more time. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by Dunn Tire. Just one guest lined up for you today. We'll speak with Alan Griffin coming up at 1215, as we do every Tuesday at 1215. Otherwise, phone lines are open. We want to hear from you. 315-437-7644. Another high school game for you, Seth. You, you called another thriller last night. Yeah. You said we we keep having the Bishop Blood and Boys on the air. They keep delivering some uh, some dramatic games, dramatic outcomes. Another overtime win for the Gaelic Knights last night. Yeah, they played well. I I will take uh, I will take overtime over the sixty point blowouts any day. You've got a, a girls game we, tonight. Yeah, yeah, we've got uh, we over at West Hill. We'll we'll be there. West Hill against Bishop Grimes. And the reason I bring that up is that while you were doing that last night, I was with Adrian Autry over at Stratomia filling in for you from 7 to 8 o'clock. A nice visit with uh, Red. Got a lot of phone calls last night. It was a fun time uh, out at Stratomia. Wow, you must have been like the, the lucky charm. I never get phone calls. He said that actually last night. I he never said, get phone calls. Apparently no one likes Seth. And yeah, I it, think so. He was joking. Um, we got like four or five phone calls, so it was it was fun. We had a lot of uh, listener participation uh, last night. One of the things I asked him, of course, was about Matthew Moyer and uh, and to give us an update if he could. And he confirmed that Moyer was back at practice yesterday, and they're essentially considering him day-to-day uh, going into the NC State game. Obviously, they're hopeful that he can go. We all heard what Jim Beheim said the other day, that Moyer was 60% going into the Wake Forest game, decided not to play, didn't feel like he could give it a go, so he sat, and uh, Syracuse uh, ran out there with five-and-a-half healthy bodies, the starting five, and then uh, whatever Barama Sadibe could give him, and he ended up giving him 17 minutes and, and some pretty good minutes uh, the other day against Wake Forest. So that's where we stand. It's... Uh, Sounds like going to be you know a game time decision to some degree whether or not Matthew Moyer plays on Wednesday, and and I heard Jim Sadlin say this uh, on Sunday leading up to to tip off between Syracuse and Wake Forest, and he said you know today's game is the most important game of the season. What because it was next? Well, no, is be- it that coach speak? Well, because it, again, and we talked about this last week, right? If you lose it. It right. becomes a bad loss, yes. and it's a game that that potentially keeps you out of the NCAA tournament. And his point was, the Louisville game made the Wake Forest game the most important game of the season because you know they needed that quality win, they got it, and then you could not afford to turn around and and give it back against Wake Forest. And the reason I bring that up is, do you not get the feeling? And I know there are all these big games coming up that this NC State game is huge. Given that they're tied in the conference, we look at the resumes. We'll get into their resumes more in depth as the show moves along. They are very similar right now. Joe Lenardi's got them as an 11 seed. He's got Syracuse among the first four out. They are very close right now. They are they are both squarely on the bubble. And not that this will be a, a tiebreaker of sorts, but should it come down to these two teams on Selection Sunday, that's certainly one of the things the committee's going to look at, yes? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine they would. And I I look at this, though, as more important for a different reason. I I think that if you win this game, that is still out there, right? That tournament idea is still out there. And look, if you lose it, it is too, because you've still got so many opportunities. And I understand all that. But if you win this game, it's really right in front of you. If you lose it, there's a lot more work to be done, right? If you win this game, 
the path is easier into the tournament. It's win one, maybe win two. If you lose this game, you got to pick up another win somewhere else. And so I think that it becomes more difficult if you lose tomorrow night in the Dome to find that path into the tournament. So it's important because you're fighting with NC State for a spot, yes, um, and you're fighting with them for ACC tournament seeding, of course. Um, but I think it's important because it's the easiest game left on your schedule. And, you know, this is a, a game that you can win, you know, as is the game at Boston College. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know that you would say uh, that you have a, a great chance in winning any of the others. You could win those games, right? Like, I'm not going to say you can't win those games. You could win any of the games left on your schedule, especially if you play like they did on Sunday, like they did last Monday. I think they could win any of the games left. Um, but this is the most winnable game that's left. And think about that for a second. I mean, you look at a team that beat Clemson, Duke, Arizona, and won at North Carolina as the easiest game left. And you're right. This is is the, you know, quote unquote easiest game left on the schedule. And it's a team that has had some monster wins. And and they've got a uh, a top heavy resume, let's say. I mean they've got those four real, real good wins. They've also they got a couple bad losses. They lost to UNC Greensboro. They lost to Northern Iowa. Their strength of schedule is not quite what SU's is, um, and and we get to see them go head to head. Like we get to compare them on Wednesday night inside the dome. And and you're right. It's a home game for Syracuse. We say what's the what's the easiest way that this team can get to nine wins, or what's the roadmap for them to get to nine wins? Win tomorrow it, night. Right. What I was going to say was if you win your your remaining home games, you're at nine. Now, that would involve beating Clemson in North Carolina, but you do have that buffer of a trip to Chestnut Hill, which it's a tricky place to play, and they've played very well there. But if you win your home games, you get to nine. Or if you win two of your three home games, and then you get that BC game, you get to nine. That's the easiest roadmap to get to nine and nine in conference play. Either way, this is one that you have to have in order to have that easiest path to nine and nine. Exactly. Right. This is is that... Uh, gateway game, uh, right? And, and it was the same on, on Sunday. Uh, a loss there wouldn't have necessarily killed you. It would have made it more difficult because it was Wake Forest at home and it was, a, a, I believe, a Quadrant 3 game. Uh, you know, as it was a Quadrant 3 game. Uh, you know, Wake Forest at home. So it might have hurt you. It would have been a Quadrant 3 Oh, it would have hurt loss, you, Seth. Yeah, but, that loss would have hurt. It, would, it wouldn't have ended you. It wouldn't have quite ended you because... Not mathematically, because but that would have been schedule. a tough one to yes. bounce back from. But because of the schedule ahead, you wouldn't have been done, right? Because if you ripped off four wins out of the seven, out of the, the five or six remaining, you, you would have gotten to the tournament anyway. And, and the same remains tomorrow night. If they lose tomorrow night and then they rip off four or five to end the season, they're going to make the tournament. But tomorrow and Sunday and what Sunday was... Uh, uh, represent the easiest path. Represent that easier road into the tournament. Win the games that you could and should win on your home floor uh, and then pull an upset or two on the road or on your home court. My response to that would be if you get swept by Wake Forest you're not a tournament. You're team. not beating no. uh, Duke in Cameron. You're not beating Carolina at home. You're not going on the road and beating Miami. You're not beating Clemson. Th- that was an important game for a lot of reasons and to play as well as Syracuse did offensively and to and to follow up the Louisville game I think we saw an encouraging sign because, you know, can they put it together, you know, on on any given day? Yeah, and they did that against Boston College in the Dome and they shot 60%. And then they went three straight games where they didn't shoot better than 33%. And then they bounced back and they played very well against Louisville and you're saying to yourself, well, was that a fluke? Was You know, is that the exception to the rule? For them to do it two games in a row and to shoot, what was it, 46%? 
on Saturday or Sunday rather uh, against Wake Forest. To me, that is an encouraging sign that maybe they're starting to figure it out. The last six games, they've had three really good offensive outings and three really bad offensive outings. Yes. So if it's a 50-50 proposition, you would take that going down the stretch. They've got six games left. You, if this team could, could come through with three quality efforts and pick up three wins, they get to 9-9. Nine and nine. Now here's the question, and they played very well offensively on Sunday. They played very well offensively last Monday. Is what they did enough to beat the best of the best. Is, you know, like like if they had played that well offensively, are they beating Virginia? Probably not, right? Probably not. But like if they play that if they play that well offensively, can Duke still outscore them? See, here's the thing. I think you and I agree. There is one game left on the schedule that we would be shocked if they won, and at that Cameron. is Duke at Cameron. Yes. I don't think they're winning that game. But if they play like that at Miami they or win, yeah. at home against Clemson, like Clemson's really good. I mean, Clemson's number two in the ACC right now. I think they could beat them, especially at home. I think the one game they, and I don't want to say can't win, because there's always a chance. And we saw them do it two years ago. Right. Most likely they're not going to Cameron and beating Duke. Right. And I think we can all agree on that. But the other five, if they play well, I think they could win. They would have to play extremely well at Cameron and hope that Duke has an off day. Look, I I don't know if the Sunday game gets you a win over UNC. With their even with their ups and downs, like I, I don't know, like I just don't know. Like there's some UNC and Duke to me have more offensive firepower than a Miami or a Clemson, right? And so I, I put those games in in a different category where I'm just I, I don't know. I'm just not uh, like I'll believe it when I see it. First off, you need them to come out and play that offensive game, which as you said is a fifty fifty proposition. Like you, it, it could be a good thing. Wow, look at it, it during that three game stretch, Pitt. Be, uh, Georgia Tech and Virginia, you never would have imagined they would play this well offensively, and and I, I agree with that. But at the same time, you know, now it's just a 50-50 proposition over their last six that they've uh, played that well, and, and I think that you need to play that well or better, you know, to beat some of these teams. UNC and Duke are in that category where I think you've got to play as well as you did on Sunday or better. To beat them. I think Duke's a better offensive team than North Carolina. I think they have different ways they can beat you. They've got good guard play. They've got some some really good size that, that's going to be a problem for Syracuse. North Carolina is is playing well. I watched a lot of that game last night. We had it on at Strata Me, and then I, I watched the end of it when I got back to the office against Notre Dame. It was close for a while. Notre Dame made a bunch of threes. Mooney hit, what, five threes in the first half, um, finished with I was, six threes. I was busy. That's right, you were busy. John Mooney, hit, he went 5-for-5 five five in the first half from 3, finished 6-for-6 six six in the game, had 18 points. And, and Notre Dame kept it close for a while, and North Carolina just pulled away in the second half, and they were, they were just too much. Um, but I, I think Duke is a better offensive team than North Carolina. They have more answers than North Carolina has. North Carolina is very good, don't get me wrong. Right. But this game is, is in Syracuse, and I think SU would have a chance if they played well offensively to hang with North Carolina, I'm not sure, sure. they can outscore Duke. I don't no, think they don't can outscore they can. Duke. Not many teams can, uh, right? I mean, we saw Carolina do it, but they slowed the game down and they played the way they wanted to in the second half. Uh, not many teams can outscore Duke. Uh, I mean, they've got the horses. They they can run with anybody. So I, I don't know that Syracuse uh, will be able to you know, slow the game down enough and play good enough defense that their offense scoring 75 or 78 points will get them a win in that game. Yeah, so six games left in the regular season, then the ACC tournament. If we see this SU team give us another three quality offensive performances... I think they're probably in. If they give you another three quality performances. 
I th- like. I think that's probably enough. The question is, which teams do those come against so that you can make the most of those opportunities? All right, we got to take a quick timeout. Let's get to uh, Alan Griffin on the other side, and then phones uh, will be open right after that at 315-437-7644. Coach Griff, coming up next on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. I'm pushing all the wrong buttons, Steve. I'm sorry. That's all right. We set an extra 15 seconds to get ready for hour number two. That's all. Steve and Seth back with you up until 2 o'clock. Phone lines open the rest of the way at 315-437-7644. So I posed this question to you during one of the uh, the breaks that we had, and I'll, I'll throw it out there now during the show, and we'd love to hear from our, our listeners as well. If you had to describe the season slash this team to this point in one word, what would it be? And I, Max threw out frustrating. Can I give it a, a two-word phrase, or do I? Because ha- I have a one-word answer, but I think the two words is better. I'll allow it, and then I'll I'll make a, a judgment afterwards. Pleasantly surprised. Okay, I'll accept that. that because fills I didn't in the blank. think I didn't think they would have seventeen wins by mid-February. You know, like I I thought that maybe they would get here, right? I thought that this team would. I, I didn't think that the five hundred streak uh, of forty-nine years or whatever, which I didn't realize three days ago, was a thing. Uh, but I didn't think that that would necessarily be in danger, right? Like, I didn't think that this team was going to fall under five hundred. Uh, but I, I don't know that I thought they would be as good as they are. And, like, I think they've already kind of met expectations. Hang on a second. Like, I Hang thought, on a second. You said a couple of weeks ago, you posed to me off the air. Before the, Hang before on. the season, I didn't okay. think they were going to finish sub But you said I never thought that they were in trouble. You said two weeks ago... Is this team even before, an NIT team? I meant before the season. I okay. didn't think I didn't think that this was like a sub five hundred team. I didn't think they were going to be like nineteen or twenty wins, which like they're on track for. But I also didn't think that they were going to finish sub five hundred. The way the season has gone has been, to Max's word, kind of frustrating because they lost the game where they allowed sixty points in forty five minutes, and they allowed, and they lost the game where they allowed fifty one points on their home floor, and they lost a the game where they had the final shot in regulation and in overtime and couldn't make it. Um, so yeah, the season has been frustrating and they've put, and they put up three straight games of 50 something points of 55 points or fewer. You know, this season has been frustrating, but I think overall, when you take a step back and look, uh, like, I I think that this team has exceeded expectations, right? I mean, we were, we were talking about this team, like, oh man, they're not going to be very good. Like book it for an NIT season. Like we just don't know what any of these guys are. Uh, like, I think that you sitting here on February 13th. I think that they've kind of gotten to where you thought they would at season's end with 17, 18 wins. I think that, you know, they have defined the roles, as we talked about last hour, very well so that you know going into next year, okay, this is what O'Shea Brissett brings. Okay, this is what Frank Howard brings. If Tyus Battle comes back, you know Tyus Battle's game. You know, if Merrick Dolzhai, you know, continues to develop over the summer, you have a baseline of what he is. So I think overall, like, I think pleasantly surprising works when you take a step back. You know, this week, you're probably frustrating. Uh, Two weeks ago, you're probably frustrated. Big picture, pleasantly surprising. I'll I'll accept that. Um, I think my word would be gutsy. Um, You look at at everything that this team has had to deal with, and, you know, we— we forget very easily about Torian Thompson leaving as classes were starting. And we forget about Geno Thorpe. And not that he was going to be a key piece to a puzzle, or this puzzle, I should say, 
but he was a guy who could certainly hit the three. We saw in you know the one game where Tyus Battle got in foul trouble, he came in and he shot lights out in the first half and gave him a big boost. He could get hot. He could score. That's the, this team's probably biggest issue is is scoring and scoring consistently from three point range. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yes. He he was he was a potential solution to that. Not the only solution, but part of. That piece to the puzzle. And then on top of that, a month later, you, you you lose the next guy who was going to fill that role. And then, you know, you have Matthew Moyer who's been in and out with issues. So, right. And you have Barama Sidibe who for the last two months has been in and out with, with injuries. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, gritty or gutty or whatever you want to say is, is a good way of putting it, too. And the, the recent injuries are, are on our mind, but we forget about Torian and we forget about Geno Thorpe very easily. And... They had to. They had to overcome that. They had to, had to overcome. Let's face it. They had to overcome Mike Hopkins leaving. They did, and that was a while ago. But you know, this this group has been through a lot, and we all know about the great recruiting class they got coming in, and and expectations are high. You know, for next year, but for them to to do what they've done to this point, you know, you said pleasantly surprised. I, I buy that. Um, you know, the the frustrating aspect. Of, it's it's only frustrating because. They're, they're inconsistent. But I think when you look at it, you have to expect this team and this group to be inconsistent because they're so young, they are limited on the offensive end, and they're limited in terms of healthy bodies. So I don't I don't love the, the frustrated answer. I think you could say inconsistent, and inconsistency yeah. leads to frustration. But I think they've been gritty, you know, pleasantly surprising, all of that. Um, to get to this point and to be in the position that they are, like if the tournament started today... It would be close, but I think they're in. I think they probably are, but they they're probably going to Dayton, and they're very likely like the last team. In. Right? But yeah, but, to, but four in. weeks out, we're less than four weeks away from Selection Sunday. To me, that is surprising. I did not expect them to be considered a tournament team or on the bubble four weeks out from Selection Sunday. Now that could change. They could lose, you know, five of the next six, and then they're you know, and then they're sunk. But they could also go three and three and be in this exact position and being in, in you know maybe even a little better shape right. uh, coming out of the ACC tournament. So yeah, I would say gutsy. Everything they've been through to be in this position, it is pleasantly surprising to your answer, and, and I think it's gutsy. Offshoot question here, and this is a much bigger picture question, and I have no idea where this is going to lead. If this team were to make the tournament, is this the best coaching job Jim Bayham's done? I mean, it's certainly got to be up there. I don't know if you could say it's the best coaching job. Like when I was talking to I mean, somebody. He's been around a long no, time. No, I know. So. I know. That's why I said this is a really big question and I don't know where it's going to lead. When I asked this question uh, off air uh, around the office, uh, I-, I was kind of given like, hey, that 2016 and that 2013 team, like getting to the Final Four was impressive. I was like, yeah, but like they had legitimate pros on both of those teams, NBA or European players. Like both of those teams, like you knew had like three or four guys who were gonna go pro, gonna go play, and like had like the talent level and developed talent level that like you could have seen a run and like see them play well and they and they both did it for relatively extended spurts, you know, over the course of the season. The the twenty thirteen team was number one in the country for a couple of weeks. Uh you know, like I don't think that's like a, a surprise that they got to the final four. Um, so I got that kind of an answer. I, I just look at this team and, and where expectations were, and you came in with this freshman class and, and Matthew Moyer is the redshirt freshman where you just had so many question marks and Pascal coming off 
uh, an injury and missing another year, and and you just had no idea what to expect. And you know they're projected to finish what tenth in the ACC, yes. and and the the line wasn't uh, was they're not going to be fighting for an NCAA tournament bid. They're going to be fighting for an NIT bid. Um, I, I think that it it would be quite an incredible feat if this team got to the tournament. I will given all of that preseason expectation. This team has professional basketball players on uh, the roster they as do. well. They Certainly do. Tyus and O'Shea. And if you're talking about playing overseas, uh, and Pascal Chuku's going to play somewhere. Yes. I mean, they, they've got guys yes. who are going to play professional basketball. But I, I understand your point. Is that I mean the thir- the, the 2016 team though had. Senior Benajay, Senior Cooney, fair enough. Uh, who were you know further along in their development? A first round pick that two months later. Fair enough. Um, but I just want to point that out. Yes. It, I mean it's, this team has NBAers and and professional right. basketball players, no doubt. Let's get a, a comment from one of our callers, uh, Kevin and Pompey, up next on Orange Nation. Hey, Kevin. Hey guys, how's it going today? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm really good. Every day I listen to the show just as much as I possibly can. And I just, every time I call, I mean to tell you guys this. The opening of the show, um, there's two different snippets in there with Matt Park um, going crazy with buzzer beater shots. And I believe they were both from last year. Yes. Um, I love it. I get goosebumps every day I hear that opening of the show. So please keep it up. Keep that on as long as you can for us. All right. Um, my, my second thing would be, um, with the teams we have left to play this year, I think Matt Park might get a chance to do another one of those exciting finishes. Um, the good teams, you know, I, I'm sure they're all going to be really close games, and uh, maybe he'll be able to give you another one of those um, finishes at the end um, for next year's show or, or the beginning of the show. Um, and then one more thing, if I can, I'd like to – add a little bit to maybe what Pat said earlier. Um, I, I, I understand what he's saying because sometimes I think to myself when I'm either at a game or if I'm watching a game on TV, it just looks like when you're watching other teams and, and we're playing there or even two other teams, the crowd is always like on their feet and into it and jumping up and down. And I realize a lot of that is the students. Do you think we don't have as many students? Do you think it's a matter of there's just so many people in the dome that we don't notice it? Um, But even like when I'm at a game, it seems like people aren't really, you know, yeah, they clap, they sit there, you know, I'm jumping off my seat and the people around me think I'm a Fruit Loop. Um, What do you guys think about that? And maybe if that had anything to say, thanks for the show. Love it. Keep it up. The good work. Appreciate you listening, Kevin, and, and thanks for uh, your loyalty. Listening to us uh, every day as much as you can. We appreciate that. I'll say this about the students. They show up for big games. And the Virginia get the first big game that they were on campus for. Again, they, they, they go home it. for break. They weren't here for the Notre Dame game. They probably weren't here for the Pittsburgh game, many of them. They got back in time for BC. That's not really considered a big game. They showed up for the Virginia game. What was it, 27,000 plus in attendance for the Virginia game? Um you know, Wake Forest isn't considered a big game either as NC State. They'll show up for UNC and they'll probably show up for Clemson. It's the regular season finale and the Jersey yeah. retirement and all that. So you're going to get three games Although, this is year. Is that spring break? Is that the start of spring uh, break? No. I don't uh, know. Spring break is the following week. Okay. I know that because you're I teach a, a class up at SU. Yeah. Yes. Um, That's why I asked. Right. It's the following week. So. They'll be there for the Clemson game. They'll be there for the Carolina game. They were there for the Virginia game. I think that's the answer. Yep. Simple as that. They show up for the big games. Um, Look, I saw that. I, I was a student 
as of two seasons ago, and and I saw the same thing. Students will show up when it's a big game, when it's an event, when it's a happening. Uh, they're not same thing goes up. for football. Yeah, you know they're they're not going to show up for you know in droves for a Wednesday night game against North Carolina State. They're going to show up for the Wednesday night game against North Carolina. Uh, you know you can get that one straight, uh, but they're not necessarily going to show up if it, if it's just kind of your average middle of the week game. I think it's as, as simple as that. Um, I think that this this program has uh, great fan support, obviously. I mean, that they're number one or number two in attendance every year. Um, I get why tomorrow's going to be a tough draw. The other thing I would say when you're watching uh, around the nation as opposed to in the Dome, um, keep in mind that they're playing in a football stadium, right? And Fans are closer and, to the court and other that, places. At just about every other place, the fans are much... Much more on top of the court. You know, when you go to Cameron, you went down there a couple years ago. I went down there a couple years ago. Uh, they are literally hanging over you on the side of the court. You know, uh, at Indiana, it's uncomfortable. At, it's uncomfortable for the media is, members. I mean, the, yeah. to your point, and I don't think people can know this unless they experience it. Like they are literally breathing down your neck yeah. when you're on press row, and it's the same thing for the players when they take there, the ball out of bounds on the sidelines. I mean, there the, are the fans of, are right there. There, there are stories of uh, suit jackets getting. Blue paint on them, I believe. Uh, quite a few stories, I'm sure, uh, from the Cameron Crazies. You know, at Indiana, at Michigan State, at, at you know, go go around the nation, Rep Arena. It, it's just a very different environment. I love the Carrier Dome. I, I love it. I love that you can put 35,000 people in there and create an environment that, that you know, we won't see anywhere else in, in college athletics. Uh, but there's a give and take, right? There, there's a give and take. And the give and take is there's an aisle between the, the court and the seats. Uh, it happens. When that place gets loud. The dome is it, unlike anything it's, else. It's yeah. unbelievable. So, I, I, you know, I, I, I guarantee you if you ask Jim Beheim, would you trade the Carrier no. Dome for anything, anywhere, no. he's going to say no. I mean, you know, Cameron include, Cameron's great, but there is there is something special about 30-plus, 32-plus, 36-plus. Yep. I mean, think about it. I mean, it is. It is. It's like a, it's like a was, football environment. I was talking to people who were at the dome for like the first time, I think for the Virginia game. And I was sitting down. We were just kind of talking during the game. And I was, and he was like, "Wow, there's a lot of people in here." I was like, "You should have seen it for like the Duke game a couple years ago." He goes, "Really?" And I just pointed out to the to the Ernie Davis number four and the football players in that back right corner of the dome. Right? I was like, "There were people sitting all the way over there, like 120 yards away from us. There were people all the way up there." And he's like, "Can they see?" No. And I was like, "No." They just want to be part of it. They were just here, and they put it on the the big. Screen yeah. so that they can essentially watch the thing on TV. Um, it is um, it's something special when you pack that many people into the Carrier Dome. It is uh, like no other venue in America. We do need to take another time out and uh, and get back on time here with the show. If you're on hold, stay on hold. We're back after this on ESPN Radio, live from Armory Square. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth with you up until 2 o'clock. Phone lines remain open the rest of the way. 315-437-7644. Back to the phone lines we go. Jake in Syracuse has been waiting patiently. Jake, how are you today? Hello. So far, so good, guys. Uh, before the break, you asked the question, if, if this team gets to the tournament, is this Bayheim's best job ever? Now, I've, I don't want to date myself, but I've been alive as long as Bayheim's been coaching, so I've seen a few of his great coaching jobs. The two that come to mind other than this year would be the 2003 National Championship and um, the 96 team that went to the Final Four, uh, the championship game. And, th- you know, those two teams, I-, I can't remember the amount of injuries that Jim Bayheim had to deal with that year. 
And if you look at the championship year, they were unranked when they came in, lost the first game of the season to Memphis. But mid-year, they get kind of like a free agent signing with Billy Eaglin coming in halfway on McDonald's All-American point guard. You know, so he had a bench then. Now you got a walk-on playing four minutes in conference game. I mean, significant minutes in a conference game playing Jim's playing, playing a walk-on. And the last time a walk-on had significant minutes in a conference game was the six overtime at UConn. And the other reason I'd say this is Jim Bayon's best job is you look at the Final Four season two years ago and run down all the players from that roster and last year's roster that have left. The amount of turnover that the Syracuse roster has seen in the last two years, I, I can't remember another time period where there have been this many players come and gone. And yet, you know, that's the atmosphere in college basketball these days. Kids leave early, seniors leave. But I, I don't remember a time where, A, there's been this many injuries, and B, there's been this much turnover on a roster. Thanks for taking my call. There Pre- are, appreciate I you be- checking in, Jake. I believe, Steve, two scholarship players on the roster today that were on the roster in the Final Four. And I say it that way because one of them is Pascal Chukwu. And the other is Frank Howard. So Frank played, you know, on that team. and this Not team. much. Not much, but played right. on both. And Pascal was on the roster technically two years ago, but you ever, didn't play. You ever seen the movie Blue Chips? No. Uh, I've been asked this on the air before. Okay, That's the one that Jim Beheim's in and Penny Hardway's a bad actor. I've yeah, heard all about it. Yeah, and then Nick Nolte, the big scene at the end yeah, where yeah. he admits to everything and he talks about, he's like, you well, know. spoiler. He's like, everybody thinks my, you know, my best coaching year is this year because we're doing so well. It was actually last year, losing season. Then he, you know, he has this long soliloquy about how, you know, his best coaching job was the year that, you know, they were one game below 500 and, you know, those kids, they gave me, you know, their the maximum of their potential and and it, anyway, you're, this is going right over your head because you've never seen it. But <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. It's an apt comparison to what Jake is bringing up, saying that you know this year, if they just make the tournament, right. it has to be considered so far right above up there. preseason expectations. Now, he brings up the 96 team. That was another one that was brought up when I said this off yeah. air. Um, and that, I mean, that year, I mean, they had no business being in the national championship game. I mean, John right. Wallace was great, but it was, I mean, they, again, hit the maximum of their potential. 2003, obviously, they hit their stride at the right time, hit well, the maximum hope. of their potential because they won the national yeah. title. You know, Could you say if this team makes the tournament, they hit their maximum potential? I think you could. Yeah, like this team's not hitting their max potential winning five games and going to the Final Four. Right? Like I don't, I don't see that as the max potential of this team. Like as as good as they play, like they're not right. Like they're not, they're not catching lightning in a bottle here in March, and we're not sitting. I don't even know where the final four is this year. I haven't even thought about it. We're not sitting doing shows from San Antonio, from isn't San Antonio? It? Think, are we? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, probably not. But can you ever say? I mean, again, you can never say never. This but. this day and age. And, and we learned it a few years back, right, with a 10 seed. <laughs> yes. This day and age, you get in the tournament, you have a chance. And with that zone, you have a chance. You sure. I'm not, I'm not going to say there's no chance. Because we've seen there is. Yeah. Go from a 10 seed to, to the Final Four. It 15 can happen. 15 seeds win every year. It yeah. can happen. And, you know, as cliche as it sounds with the 2-3 you know, zone is the X factor, the 2-3 zone is the X factor. You go into the tournament, you you play it against teams who have not seen it. I mean, all these ACC teams have know. seen Giddy it I don't know. Potts has seen zone before. Yeah, right. He played Rice. <laughs> Wasn't that the soundbite? Yeah. We went up against Rice earlier in the year. We know how to play 2-3 zone. Okay, sure you do. <laughs> um, it is the X factor. So, yeah, don't tell me that. Do I think this team's going to the Final Four? Obviously not. Like, I'm not going to predict that. But if they get in the tournament, are you telling me they can't win four games in a row? I'm not I mean, buying no. that. No, I don't think so. But, I mean, I, I guess it could happen. Like, 
It can. It can happen. Again, not predicting it. Right. I'm just saying you can't you can't say nowadays like in the women's game, right? The, the 10 seed is not no, going no. to the final four in the women's game right now. It's just there there's a disparity between the the, you the know, top and the bottom. The the haves and the have-nots. It's like with college football. Like Syracuse is not competing for a national title right now. There are, you know, Eight to ten teams that go into the year that you feel like, all right, they, these eight to ten teams have a chance. In college basketball, 40 teams have a chance to go to the Final Four. Can Syracuse be one of those 40? Don't, and what, you're, take, you're taking out the bottom four your shoulders in each me. region? I mean, George Mason, Butler. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, VCU. It, unless I mean, you're... So unless you're unless you're an automatic qualifier that's a twelve through sixteen, right? From those conferences that never win any games. Well, I said the forty teams. That right. that takes into account ten, no, one through ten, the seeds, right. and we saw a ten seed go not that sure. long ago. So don't okay. shrug your shoulders yeah. at me. Okay. Or an eleven seed for that matter. Well, Oregon, Forty-four. Who teams. was it last year who made it? Uh, South Carolina. Don't tell me that that you know one through eleven can't go. It can happen. Okay. We've seen it happen. Yes. So again, not predicting it. Was it Wichita State the year we went, or VCU the year before? Wichita that was the State. eleven seed and won first four and the and went to the final. I four. don't believe Wichita State was the eleven seed uh, the year Syracuse was there. I don't remember the seeding, um, but yeah, I mean we've seen it. We've seen eleven seeds. We you know it's it it can happen. So um, get to the tournament first, and then and then roll the dice and, and see what your draw looks like. We do need to take a timeout. Today's business coming up next on ESPN Radio.